This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are Super Bowl champions. The Boomer squad is known for Tokyo. And we wrap up the Big Bash finals as the Sydney Sixers are crowned the kings of BBL 10. Another huge one. Let's go. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, there were two cricket-related items that caught my attention this week. Firstly, Bangladesh lost the first test to the West Indies in Chattagram, formerly known as Chittagong. And by the way, before I get into this, can I just say how much I would love to receive a Chattagram? (laughs) Like someone knocks on your door and starts making small talk about the weather and the local sporting team. Like, What a Uh, lost start, What a stadium. It's always good to have a chat at the cricket. So yeah, it's a good name for a stadium. Anyway, Bangladesh, they made 430 in the first inning. So the fact they lost from there is a little bit of a shock. Yeah. Full credit to the Windies though. And in particular, Kyle Myers, who made 210 not out on debut. Wow. Fifth highest score by a debutant in test history. It was also part of the largest successful fourth innings run chase in test history. Yeah, it was a cracking game. I didn't realise he was on debut. Yeah, that's very impressive. Mm, yeah, amazing. yeah, huge. But what caught my attention about this was a very cheeky tweet from Verenda Sewag with a very obvious dig at the Australian cricket team. Okay. West Indies, unbelievable. One of the greatest chases, 2.10 on debut for Myers, beating Bangladesh on their home ground, chasing 3.95. Wow, West Indies. Looks like a year where away teams will dominate. <laughs> Very cheeky. Yeah, well, you know, full power to him. Yep. And the other quick thing that caught my attention, magnificent effort from 12-year-old Bailey Thompson. Plays for Eastern Park Blue, who are based about 35 minutes north of Adelaide. And they were playing a game against Salisbury West, and he's blasted 75 off 20 balls, mm-hmm. retired, then come out and smashed another 35 off 12, 29-ball ton, and a total of 110 not out of 32 balls. Six fours, 12 sixes. He hit seven of the sixes out of the park. One of them stopped about 10 metres short of the Salisbury Highway. And all of this with a bat that he got given by Travis Head. Ah, So I thought that was pretty cool. So maybe someone to remember the name of for a few years down the track. Yeah, future Will Pukowski already brewing there, maybe. And Eastern Park lead by 171 runs after the first inning. (laughs) If you're keeping score at home. How about yourself, mate? Uh, well, after talking about Jesse Wagstaff's blown layup against the Phoenix, I noticed that Chris Paul actually missed a very easy layup against Dallas. So it does happen to the best, although he did assist on the game-winning shot. So, yeah. you know, he did redeem himself, unlike Jesse. But it's, it's very Super Bowl-focused for me this week. So a couple of things for what caught my attention was some comedians talking about the Super Bowl. For some of us, it's one that we're very interested in. And for others, it's maybe just a bit of a spectacle that uh, is a good chance to see funny ads. And for my wife, it's all about the halftime performances. Yeah, well, that too. And we will get there too. But uh, yeah, so a couple of comedians. So Bill Maher um, was talking about the matchup between Brady and Mahomes. And we'll talk about that more shortly. But he said the 20-year age difference between them, or what we call in Hollywood, a marriage. I thought it was kind of funny. But um, a lot of his uh, monologue was talking about the fact that 25% of Americans said they were going to Super Bowl parties against advice. And this is finally the numbers of Corona have dipped. And they're worried that this will be the next great super spreader event because the last great one was Christmas New Year when people were getting together. So, yeah. So as he said about that, it's going to be really confusing when someone says pass the Corona. popular beverage of course Uh, but he also said of the other 75% some fans say they're going to watch with blow up dolls to make them feel like they have company around them and then he said in a tribute to Tom Brady they'll deflate them after the game (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that is great. Do you know, my mind immediately went back to the uh, the FC Soul sex doll. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, well, yeah, we've seen a lot of that weird stuff going on in sports lately. Uh, the other one that I really liked about Super Spreader Parties was Trevor Noah, who said, I'm not going to have an obituary with the words Buccaneers in there. If I want to die, it's not going to be because of a football game. I want to die peacefully in my sleep at a baseball game. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that one as well. What'd you miss, mate? Well, if I'm honest, I missed almost all of the NBL last week. And unfortunately as well, being stuck at work today, I wasn't as lucky as you and I missed pretty much the entire Super Bowl. Yeah, well, I don't know how much you missed. Well, I still would have liked to have been there yeah, having, having it's beers. An event. Yeah, yeah, having beers at seven o'clock in the morning would yeah. be nice. So how about yourself, mate? Yeah, I'll tell you what, it's the earliest beer I've had in a long time, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, what did I miss? I missed the start of the women's, the AFLW Derby between the Eagles and Dockers. Very sloppy affair. Finally got some rain here, which was great for those fires in Perth. So, look, it wasn't a great spectacle, but, you know, good win for the Dockers there. Ninth on the trot, spanning two seasons. Yeah, two-all draw for the for the Eagles there. Thankfully, the Dockers kicked 11 behinds, but... Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Very wet weather footy, though. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. yeah. So we'll move on to the news roundup now. You've got a bit of an update on the Collingwood saga. Yeah, we won't spend too much time on this, but there is a bit of an update. There's a couple of things. Apparently the board are very seriously considering asking Eddie to step down earlier than his end of year plan due to some of his comments about being proud and such. Now, obviously this all came about by the Heredia Lumumba accusations and a former teammate, Simon Buckley's come out and he's actually responded to the report and it's in a now deleted Facebook comment He said that he made the nickname up for himself. He was all for it when we were winning flags and playing well. He would refer to himself as a chimp. He all of a sudden, 10 years later, wants to be a humanitarian. Now, this maybe carries a little bit more weight because Simon Buckley himself is Indigenous, so he would see things from a different perspective. Uh, But Lumumba said it went well beyond his nickname. I quote, a young man of 23 or 24 years of age and had yet to understand the dangerous implications of racism that was allowed to proliferate within the club's culture. So that's another watch this space kind of one, I guess. But uh, that saga continues well and truly. Mm, it's it's almost, it's hard to watch. Yeah. It really yeah. is. And it's, it's unfortunate that, again, this stuff is still happening. And obviously, this is from a long time ago, but the fact that it's, it's still rearing its ugly head in, in sport is just, yeah, it's disappointing. Collingwood will hopefully put their best foot forward. Now, the Australian Open's finally started, Stewie, and it did start. It did. Very exciting. It's It's been a real nasty lead-up. We've had hotel complaints. We've had barbs being traded between Novak Djokovic and Nick Kyrgios. Diana Yastremska was sent home after flying over and quarantining for absolutely no reason yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. Ticket sales for day one were horrendous, basically showing a lot of Victorians are against the event. I saw a photo today showing play on the centre court with only a handful of fans among thousands of empty seats. So... It's a really slow start. Hopefully it will ramp up towards the, the second week of the tournament. And it looked like there were a few more people in the night sessions as well. So, it, you know, it's a little bit concerning for organisers early, but we'll see how it all goes. But uh, yeah, a couple of really cool things. Serena Williams, I've got to talk about her first of all, though. She has well and truly turned heads today with an adaptation of that cat suit that she wore in Paris. <laughs> now, I have to say, I'm usually not too complimentary of what she wears, but I really liked this. and I, I, don't, oh, I don't mind the catsuit. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to turn this into a fashion show or anything. I'm not exactly <laughs> uh, someone who should be talking about it, but this is a, a really, really cool idea. You know, she's got one leg sort of going all the way down to the ankle, one stops just above the knee. It's got a really nice mix of colours. What I really liked about it, though, was that it's actually showing off how good a shape she's in right now. She looks like she has dropped quite a few pounds, which... It's yeah, amazing. Well, you know, yeah. we've, we've talked about how 
her mobility was something that was probably going to hold her back from equaling Margaret Court's record. And she wants that record. And she does. And, and I really believe that in the shape that she's in, I mean, she made very light work of, I believe it was Laura Sigerman today in the first round. I think she's ready to really put in the, the yards to get this. Oh, she's always in with a chance. Whenever she's competing in a tournament, she's always one of the favourites. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. Definitely. Maybe it would be fitting she'd break her record on Margaret Court. Margaret Court Court. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be pretty cool, actually. Now, not too many surprise results on day one. As always, there are a couple of little upsets. We had world number 62, Bernarda Pera, took out three-time Grand Slam winner Angelique Kerber. She's fallen off a smallish cliff of sorts in the last couple of years. She must. She's been around for a long time. She's thirty-three now. Oh, okay. I but, thought she uh, might have been even older. No, okay. former world number one. She's dropped down to twenty-five now. So she's uh, yeah. She's, it's a young women's sport, though, tennis. It is. It uh, is. Apart from Serena. <laughs> yes, very true. Very true. We also had world number eighty-six young gun Emil Rusivori. I believe that's how you pronounce it. It's from Finland. So it's about as good as I'm going to do. But he knocked off the 10 seed Gail Monfils. Yeah, huge. Yet to win a game since he came back from the COVID layoff. Mm. So he's really, really struggling right now. It was quite heartbreaking watching his press conference. Yeah, the tears came out. Yeah, yeah. You know, just seeing a guy who is devoid of all confidence, has no idea where his game's gone. So that's really, really tough. And unfortunately, Aussie John Millman blew a two sets to one lead over Frenchman Corinthien Moutet. I believe mm. it's something along those lines as well. So many great foreign <laughs> names in this tournament. It's a minefield for pronunciation. <laughs> it is. I mean, look, I know you get $100,000 for losing in the first round, but imagine going through all of that to lose in the first yeah, round. Right? Yeah, it's, well, it's... the Gaël Monfils one I'm thinking about more, at least John Millman lives here. Yeah, true. But, uh, you know, Gaël fees would have been a heavy favourite in that match too. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. After going through two weeks of quarantine, that would be pretty... Uh, I guess the $100,000 check would soften yeah. the Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess if you gave either of us the option to yeah. sit in a hotel yeah. room for two weeks, <laughs> yeah. I could manage that. Yeah, where do I sign? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But uh, but no, look, it's it's a great start. And I think there's a, a match just finished. Unfortunately, Yannick Sinner, I believe, has just been knocked out by Denis Shapovalov. So unfortunately, my uh, my one of my new favourites has gone very early. Now, Nath, I believe we've also had an update on another saga, the West Coast Fever Salary Cap Saga. That's right, in the Super Netball. So it's deepened greatly in the past week with admissions that in 2017 and 2018, the club actively offered players accommodation, travel, jobs, and the use of company cars outside of the salary cap in a scheme that was, quote, designed to circumvent the league's total salary cap. In the form of confirmation letters given to players with their contracts outlining, quote, additional support the club was willing to offer during their contract. No one involved with this is still with the Fever or even Netball WA, but it's a very dark day. The Fever have been fined $300,000 and stripped 12 premiership points, as we've said previously, but is that enough? I'm not sure it is. I'm not either, to be honest. I'm not sure the financial penalty needs to go any higher. Not in COVID times. You don't want to cripple a team. Mm. But I do think that you kind of almost need to make it impossible for the Fever to play any part. I mean, it's unlikely they'll make the finals anyway. 12 points is a lot. Mm. But I think you've got to make it impossible for them to play finals next year. It's just not an option. It's always harder to land a punishment in non-draft sports, isn't it? Because it's very easy, you know, Carlton, for example, back in the late 90s, you just take a few draft picks off them and that will hurt the club. Mm. But you can't do that in the netball. Yeah, I mean, I always wonder whether they could have like a tiered thing. So maybe 12 points this season, yeah. eight points the next four, you know, and sort of make it so it's tough for them to make the finals over the next few seasons. Well, hey, if they did it in two consecutive years, maybe they should be punished for two consecutive years. Good point. Good point. 
Now, you've got some APL updates, Shui, that date back almost minutes after we finished recording last week. Yeah, geez. Just literally, I think it was hours after we recorded last week, Manchester United equaled an English Premier League record with nine goals against Southampton at Old Trafford. Yeah, huge. Now, Alex Jankowicz, who was actually making his full Premier League debut, was sent off less than two minutes into the game for a, a real hideous rake on Scott McTominay making him just the fourth player in Premier League history to be sent off in the first two minutes of a game. United just ran rampant from there. They led 6-0 before Jan Bednarek was sent off late as well. The Red Devils slotted another three for this historic scoreline. Funnily enough, just the third time a team had scored nine in a game, but Southampton actually copped one of those hidings last season to Leicester after Ryan Bertrand was sent off after 12 minutes in that one. The other team to do it, Manchester United in 1995 against Ipswich. Andy Cole scored five that day. So a really, really amazing effort from the uh, the Red Devils. But the EPL title race kind of appears to be Man City's to lose. It was a real disastrous weekend for all the other top sides. After putting nine through last weekend, Man United allowed Everton to equalise at three all with dominant Calvert-Lewin scoring with the last kick of the game in the 95th minute. Wow. Then you had Leicester City drawing nil all with Wolves and Liverpool have now lost two straight as well. They followed up a 1-0 defeat to lowly Brighton with a 4-1 loss at Anfield to a clinical Man City. And that includes a missed penalty in the first half from Ilkay Gundogan. Man City hadn't won at Anfield since 2003 and it was the first time a team had scored four at Anfield in 12 years and the first time since 1963 Liverpool have lost three straight league games at home. This is a huge result. They're now five points clear of United, seven clear of Leicester with a game in hand and a huge lead in the goal difference. They're going to be really tough to catch. And they're actually going to try and break a record this week. So 14 consecutive wins in all competitions they're sitting at at the moment. They go for number 15 when they play Swansea in the FA Cup on Thursday. All eyes on Man City then. Mm -hmm. Come on, you blokes. You know more than just sport. This week, Shui, we return to Adelaide once again, which has provided us a few stories for Just Not Cricket. And indeed, there's another koala one that we didn't even fit in because we had so much. Speaking of fit in, this one's, uh, well, I guess it's an accident, but I don't know for sure. It, come, <laughs> it comes from Woolworths Gawler, where the Happy Valentine sign was right in front of the cucumbers. <laughs> with Cupid's arrow pointing directly at the cucumbers. <laughs> And I guess, Shui, you can't spell cucumber without the word... Sweet Jesus. Sorry, that was low-hanging fruit, or in this case, vegetable. Oh, happy Valentine's Day, indeed. And that is a nice Valentine's Day for people, I guess, be it on their own or with someone else. (laughs) Have you had your five and two today, (laughs) Shui? And Shui, I've got a bonus for you. Oh, second second innings of Just Not Forget. Yes, you could say that we're giving you multiples today. (laughs) This one's from Peru, where we do actually have an audience. I wasn't joking about that the other week. We like looking at the stats. I found we had five listens in Peru one time. It's probably just Aussies with VPNs. But anyway, Peruvian solicitor Hector Paredes Robles was caught stripping off and sitting on his chair so a naked brunette could straddle him, all to be seen by an astonished court conducted via Zoom. The Sun reported that the judge ruled the sex session was still going strong and said, we are witnessing obscene acts which represent a violation of public decency and are aggravated by the fact they are being recorded nationally. I heard no one objected, though. <laughs> order, order. <laughs> Can you imagine the stenographer like, oh, yes, oh, yes, more. Uh, so to our friends in Adelaide and to our friends in Peru, I say. It's just not cricket. 
Now, we've got a little surprise here. We're not following It's Just Not Cricket with actual cricket this week. <laughs> Don't worry, we will get there, though. We will indeed. But obviously, it is the biggest day in American sports and arguably the world, as we've spoken about. So we do have to head to the Northern Hemisphere and talk about the Super Bowl. Yes, Julie, an interesting and exciting season finished in predictable fashion. Tom Brady hosting the Vince Lombardi Trophy and me wasting a day of annual leave having to stomach it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, look, it's a fascinating one, and there were storylines all over the place. So it was the first team to play a Super Bowl at their home stadium in Tampa Bay, and this is just by chance that rotates every year, and finally a team actually made a home Super Bowl, so to speak. And, of course, in true Tom Brady fashion, he would be hosting it with an inferior record. Yeah, that's true. The Chiefs were 14-2, and two and the Bucks were 11-5, and five, I believe. So mm-hmm. that is that is true, yep. Uh, there was the storyline of the goat versus the kid, and kid is in baby goat. So a lot of people are trying to coronate Mahomes as potential goat of the future and it's the passing of the torch between Brady and Mahomes and that's fair enough. So I believe this is the seventh time that we've had a pair of quarterbacks who had won consecutive Super Bowls that's right. playing yeah. off against each other. Absolutely sure. You're absolutely right. Patrick Mahomes obviously won against the 49ers last year. Tom Brady with the Patriots won against the Rams the year before. It's happened on seven occasions. The last time was the Pats and Seahawks between Brady and Wilson, a choky kind of Super Bowl that we will talk about and have talked about. Prior to that was Brady and Eli Manning. There were some other storylines as well. The coach of the Bucks, Bruce Arians, has survived cancer on three different occasions and became the oldest coach to win on Super Bowl history. Because of the COVID and cancer stuff, he actually thought about maybe not coaching at all this season. So it turned out to be a pretty good decision. Good decision, yeah. And the Bucks were also kind of a team of second chances. They had Jason Pierre-Paul, who had previously won a Super Bowl with the Giants, but once blew off multiple fingers on both hands owing to a fireworks accident for the 4th of July. So the fact that he can still play at Pro Bowl level is quite remarkable. They also had Antonio Brown, who was once considered one of the best, if not best wide receivers in the league and then fell out of favour really quick. He was key as well today. And then Leonard Fournette as well, a guy that was one of the best running backs in college. But the Jacksonville Jaguars cut him, gave up on him after not long enough, in my opinion. And of course, the Bucks swooped in and... He actually, you could have made a case for him for Super Bowl MVP today. So he played superbly well as well. And that's speaking nothing of guys like Ndama Kong Su. So there are a lot of players that got a chance to win on another team. And then finally, Shui, the other storyline for this one now, it's always about the Super Bowl ads. A lot of people watch it just for the ads. I've heard of cases where people in America take the game and fast forward the play and watch the ads. But many of the normal high-flying advertisers who create witty ads for the Super Bowl actually opted to donate money to COVID vaccine ads instead. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, one of the things that I was actually really impressed with, I I saw an ad that was sent to me by my wife, funnily enough, because she's another one who loves the ads. And you've got Jessica Long, who's an American Paralympic swimmer, and they did this really dramatic and emotional advert about how she was actually brought up for adoption in Siberia. And her parents were told that she would have to have both her legs amputated and it would be a really tough sort of life for her. And they were over the moon excited about it because they felt that it was a great opportunity for them. And and here she is now at the top of her profession. Yeah. So yeah, Yeah, lovely story. There's some great ones out there in between all of the the comedy and, and that sort of thing. And it's, it's great to see. And there's no easy segue here, but in the lead up, there were some interesting things and not good things that happened. And particularly for the Kansas city chiefs as well. 
Andy Reid is the coach of the team. His son, Britt, is the coach of the outside linebackers for the team. And he was involved in a three-car crash on Thursday night in Kansas City that ended in a five-year-old girl being placed in critical condition fighting for her life. So he didn't even go to Tampa Bay in the end to coach for the game. Obviously, all prayers with her and her family. Yeah, obviously, absolutely. Another ridiculous thing that we've seen, unfortunately, as well is all of the partying on the streets of of Ybor City in Tampa. Which oh, it's super spreader time. It, yep. it is. I mean, I scanned through one photo. We, I would have had hundreds, maybe thousands of people in this photo, and I think I saw two masks, mm. one of them being worn correctly. Mm. So this is one of these things. I mean, you've got Jeremy Faust. He's an emergency physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. He made some really amazing points, including this. They had a moment of silence for those lost to COVID-19, and the editors of Merriam-Webster are revising the definition of irony at this hour. Mm. And I saw another one from Ahmed Ali that said, with a crowd this big, the real winner of the Super Bowl is COVID. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, and you want to be able to celebrate, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough. So you can celebrate on delay. Yeah, do you know what's yeah. even better to celebrate? Being alive. Yeah, yeah. And not giving it to your grandma and killing her yeah. or something like that. Not being on a respirator. There's yeah, so many yeah. things to celebrate. Yeah. yep. Now, a couple of other things in the lead up. So on ESPN, we got the normal Monday night football crew, Steve Levy, Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick for Australian audiences. And often they'll do this on the day because a lot of people only watch the Super Bowl. And for lack of a better phrase, they might need it dumbed down a little bit. They'll talk about the rules a little bit more. They'll talk about things that they might not otherwise talk about for an American audience. And of course, they had the cringy g'day at the start, which was... Jesus, oh, uh, they yeah. brought the San Antonio Spurs commentator in <laughs> Well, credit to Steve Levy for saying we've already offended our audience. So that was good. 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 And I'll come back to him. I'm going to bookend with some Steve Levy You've stuff. Got but the other thing that was interesting and it foreshadowed the result, there was a graphic at the start of the game which had Tom Brady and Mahomes reaching for the trophies with their teams behind them and Brady's hand was the one that was touching it. Oh, wow. So there you go. They he knew, did they, win his seventh Super Bowl. They knew the result already. One of the other things, just quickly before we get into the game as well, that I saw that was absolutely amazing was this Vince Lombardi hologram that they had. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, yeah. This little 30-second clip of him. And they always referred to him as more of a teacher than a coach. But these really inspirational words. And, I mean, it's dividing people. I don't know how. My thoughts are... I mean, Some people are funny about the hologram stuff. But I thought it was cool. I didn't actually see it live because we went and watched the game at the Inglewood. And I don't mind giving a plug to them. It's my favourite pub in Perth. But um, we got there literally for the first snap. Oh, wow. So we missed all the pre-game stuff, but I actually watched it later this afternoon. So I saw the hologram then. I mean, look, I don't know if it was because I was in air conditioning at the time, but I got chills. Like I got actual (laughs) chills watching it. It was... It was cool. Yeah, no, I liked it. I liked it. One other thing I'd like to mention, Stewie, about the COVID stuff I forgot to when you mentioned that before, they actually gave free tickets to 7,500 vaccinated healthcare workers for free. So that was a nice touch. But as Roy Wood Jr. said on another edition of I Apologise for Talking While You're Talking on The Daily Show, what better off way to blow off steam for healthcare professionals than to see 100 men slam their brains together? (laughs) (laughs) So true. So obviously, as I mentioned before, I missed seeing the game live. I've since seen some of the highlights. And yeah, we watched those together, yeah. As you mentioned, I didn't really miss much. It was a, a little bit of an anticlimax. Yeah, it was a bit of an anticlimax. And the Chiefs came out not on all cylinders. And look, it's got to be said, the fact they even got there with four offensive linemen that weren't in their starting lineup at the start of the season is quite remarkable. And the Bucks' defensive pressure was magnificent. They had homes under pressure all game long. He was pressured 29 times, which is a Super Bowl record. And they only actually sent extra pass rushes on two of those plays. 
So that was just the normal front line pressuring him. They did a spectacular job. Mahomes basically picked the worst possible game of his career to have his first touchdownless start. He was sacked three times. He was intercepted twice. That easily could have been four times. It was actually the first time since at least high school that he didn't have a touchdown, which is crazy. It is. And look, it wasn't all his fault. He really tried. You know, he kept on his feet as much as he could in spite of the three times he got sacked. His receivers just kept dropping balls, didn't they? Yeah, there were multiple times when you just thought, well, that's a touchdown. And Tyreek Hill in the first quarter. Straight through the hands into the helmet. Yeah, I, I think I can remember three times yep. that, that would have been either touchdowns or first downs with huge gains, basically. Yep, so, Travis Kelsey, another one who dropped a key one. Yeah, I mean, he played well. He did. He played very well. He played really yeah. well. 13, yeah. 13 receptions for, I think, 130-odd yards. But it's those but key ones. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's how you deal with that sort of stuff. So, yeah, not great, obviously, for the, the Buccaneers. And, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, he did everything he could, Mahomes. But, unfortunately, when you're up against, well, how many players plus how many umpires? <laughs> well, that's the other big news, isn't it? There's a lot of people on social media that were not happy about the umpiring. A lot of people are saying it's the worst officiated Super Bowl ever, or at least for a very, very long time. And there were some very dubious pass interference calls. And this was on the back of last week's NFC Championship game where Green Bay's hopes were dashed on a very, very ticky-tack pass interference call. There were at least two that were dubious. One that was probably there, but also... Uh, but I think they were, they were right to call that one. But one led to an Antonio Brown touchdown, and he barely touched him. It was terrible. And it's a big difference between 14 to 6 at halftime and 21 to 6 at halftime. And I think with that one, the point that I made to you while we were re-watching it, which you agreed with, was how realistic was it that he was going to make that catch? Yep. I, I have to say, I don't think there's any chance he was getting close to it. Yeah, and so that's right. There's two things there. One, he barely touched him, and they kind of jockeyed with it other a little bit which happens on every single exactly. play and the other yeah there's no way he would have caught it anyway unless he was minute bowl so yeah, <laughs> yeah probably minute bowl on minute bowl. yeah, yeah. It, it, so that was terrible and then there was also there was a punt that was called back on a very dubious holding play the first kick was fantastic in spite of the fact he had butterfingers the second kick was 38 yards shorter than the previous mm. kick and what, like, did that, what did that lead to oh well that that put him in field goal territory immediately so they were really out of hiding to nothing. And yeah, that really set the tone for the whole game because although the Kansas City Chiefs are really good at playing from behind and they've done it very well for a few seasons now, it shortens your playbook and you become predictable. The defense knows that you need to pass all the time so they don't need to worry about stopping the run. They can move the safeties in corners back and defend the pass, you know? So you basically cut out half the playbook. And I have to say... Certainly one of the things that, that I noticed in, in watching some of the bits on playback, and I hate to use this horrible pun again, was that Kansas City really looked deflated after all of that. Oh, they really did. But let's talk about halftime first, Chewy. I know your wife likes the halftime shows. Does she like The weekend? I didn't even know who he was, really. I mean, certainly not on my playlist. Yeah. I'm not sure one of my wife's. I think I knew one song, the I Can't Feel My Face, because one of the guys I used to work with used to say, I can't feel my face when I'm a stew. Oh, yeah, so, of course. Well, there you go. That's yeah, about the yeah. only reason I know it. So, yeah, not, well, not one of mine. I just know the one that, that there was that TikTok dance. It sounds like the start of Take On Me by Aha. That's that's the one. I, know. I don't even know if it's the same song. I don't know why you're looking at me for well, a yeah, TikTok I know, challenge. Yeah. You're, you're talking to a guy that didn't listen to much of the commentary between the Brisbane Heat Perth Scorchers game because he felt like listening to Merciful Fate. Oh, well, that's fair enough. So, you know, yeah. But we'll come back to that. Uh, apparently, The weekend pumped $9 million of his own money into the show. 
And fans complained that they couldn't hear it. Now, we couldn't hear it because we were at the pub and a lot of people were talking at halftime and stuff, but apparently viewers at home couldn't really hear it either. And would you have wanted to hear it anyway? <laughs> well, and here's an interesting quote I saw. Uh, I can't remember where I found this from. I didn't see it on Twitter itself. I think I saw it on news.com.au. Queer Eyes' Karomo Brown tweeted a scathing review of the performance. Just like every weekend in 2020, we all prayed it would be fun and exciting, but we were left all in our houses feeling disappointed and unfulfilled. <laughs> Oh, so true. Now, look, Stewie, I've certainly seen and heard worse. It wasn't meatloaf at the AFL Grand Final that year, but uh, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty woeful. Jesus. Uh, and look, for the record, best Super Bowl halftime show ever was Prince. He was magnificent, and the Black Eyed Peas were shit house. Well, they're always shit house. Yeah, well, yeah. ever since Fergie. But that's a story for another day. But anyway, okay. So going into the the second half, you're right. In the second half, the the Chiefs came out really flat. They, although there was time left and they were fighting an uphill battle, they could have still won. Yeah, and they, they did well, pick up was, pace a little bit. Yeah, but there was that key drop right on the goal line that, yeah. that would have probably brought it back to a 15 point game. Then yep. you're talking basically two touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, two converted touchdowns, one albeit with a two point conversion. But yeah, yep, definitely very, very doable with what 13 minutes left in the game. Plenty of time. Yeah, yeah, no, there was. And as I said before, Mahomes did his best. He had a lot of happy feet. He managed to stay on his feet and throw a couple of miraculous passes, but unfortunately they just weren't caught. And really, look, there's not much else to say. It was one of those games. It really was. Yeah. But no, look, full credit to Tom Brady. I mean, he continues to expand his gap over the rest of the field as as far as wins. Yeah, look, he's had a lot of luck and we'll probably go back maybe over the coming weeks and have a look at this argument of, is he the greatest athlete of all time across all sports? Yeah, so it's gone from the goat in the NFL to goat in all sports. And I think we might need to pay that a bit more time as that argument unfurls a little bit more. He said that he wants to play on past 45. 45 yeah, that would be that. more than two extra seasons. Yeah. yeah. He becomes the second quarterback to win a Super Bowl with two different teams. Funnily enough, Bucks defenseman Shaq Barrett, who played fantastically well and may not stay with the team due to contracts, he was on Peyton Manning's Denver team and Peyton Manning was the first player to, to win a uh, Super Bowl with two different teams as quarterback. And it's happened on four occasions, but they're the only two that have won it. By the way, Peyton led the Hall of Fame class that were inducted this week. It included a lot of Brady's contemporaries, actually, like Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, Alan Fanica. And look, Stewie, I've got to say here that Manning won five MVPs and had a 3-2 head-to-head win-loss record against Brady in playoffs, including 2-1 to in championship games. And now he's in the Hall of Fame and Brady's not. Yeah, well, Brady will get there. but uh, <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Speaking of awards, they also announced them for this season. Aaron Rodgers won the MVP. He became the third player in NFL history to lead the league in touchdown passes while throwing for the fewest interceptions. He joined Tom Brady and Johnny Unitas. And speaking of third, it was his third MVP. Aaron Donald won Defensive Player of the Year with Derek Henry winning Offensive Player of the Year. Now, this one's a real head-scratcher for me, Stewie. Aaron Rodgers is an offensive player. If he's MVP, isn't he Offensive Player of the Year? Yeah. yeah Bit is. weird, isn't it? Yeah. But they do break up the awards into offense and defense. So the defensive rookie was Chase Young. The offensive rookie was Justin Herbert. I don't think anyone argues with that. And the Coach of the Year, Kevin Stefanski from the Cleveland Browns. I don't think anyone argues with that either. Yeah. They had a tremendous season. They did. So as promised, Stewie, I said I would bookend with some Steve Levy comments. How's this? With about a minute and a half left in the game, he said, let's just say India-Australia, that great rivalry, does not compare to this rivalry on the field tonight. You mean that rivalry of four games between Mahomes and yeah. Brady? Yeah. 
Yeah, look, I saw a very interesting tweet actually from one Nathan. <laughs> You're quoting me back to myself again. So ESPN Steve Levy wins most inane display of American ignorance and arrogance for saying in the dying stage of the Super Bowl coverage that the rivalry today is bigger than Australia versus India, a series that has been played since 1947 and features matches that last five days, one of which longer than the entire matchup yeah. between Mahomes and Brady. Couldn't agree with myself more, Stewie. What a clown. What a clown. Now, Stewie, this is a segment that we kind of teased that there'd be new segments coming, and we finally got this one here, and this was just in time for the Super Bowl. Did you know that the author of The Great Gatsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald, was actually really important in the beginning of the offensive and defensive teams in Gridiron? I did not. So in 1962, Fitzgerald acquaintance, this comes from the Wall Street Journal, Andrew Turnbull wrote a biography of the author and he recounts that Asa Bushnell, a Princeton athletic manager during the Chrysler years, and Chrysler was the coach there, who would apparently have lengthy discussions with Fitzgerald about the game and about tactics, reported receiving a call from Fitzgerald promoting the idea of distinct units of players. Princeton must have two teams, Fitzgerald told Bushnell, according to the book. One will be big. All men over 200 pounds. This team will be used to batter them down and wear them out. Then the little team, the pony team, <laughs> will go in and make the touchdowns. Make the touchdowns. <laughs> Isn't this fascinating? So Francis, which was what the F stands for, was said to be pretty distraught for not making the Princeton's team. And some people have even speculated that the kind of misery that pervades the Great Gatsby is out of that rejection from the team. But there you go. A very important part in gridiron history nonetheless. Well done, old sport. <laughs> now, before we talk about the BBL finals wrapping up, Stuart, you wanted to talk about Chris Gale quickly. Yes, before we get into the challenger and the final... <laughs> Look, I spoke uh, earlier about Bailey Thompson's phenomenal innings, but he's still got a long way to go to catch up to the universe boss, Mr. Chris Gale. There aren't many guys out there who can say they've scored a ton in T20, but Chris Gale wasn't actually that far off doing it in a T10, for fuck's sake. Wow. And actually, had his opponents made a slightly bigger total, he probably would have. Uh, he was playing for Team Abu Dhabi against Maratha Arabians, who made four for 97 off their 10 overs in this, this Abu Dhabi T10 tournament, as if T20 is not short enough. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It took Abu Dhabi 5.3 overs to chase that down at a run rate of over 18. Wow. So Gale matched the quickest ever 50, just 12 balls. It was actually his record. Yep. And the first two were dots. So as you always say, a couple of balls to get your eye Yeah, you got to get your eye You got to. Yep. But his next 10 balls were 4, 4, 4, 6, 6, 6, 6, 4, 6, 4. I was actually interested to see, though, that Wazim Muhammad finished not out 56 off 13 later wow. in that same tournament yeah, okay. and actually tied that record for 12, including taking 34 off the second over of the match for the Northern Warriors against the uh, the Pune Devils. So he actually didn't win man of the match in that either, believe it or not. Wayne Parnell got it with figures of three for five off two overs. Oh, decent. <laughs> so, you know, still very, very good. But imagine getting 56 off 13 and not getting yeah, man of the match. Yeah, that'd be all right. Yeah, Absolutely nuts. Yeah. Anyway, on to the BBL. Now, Stewie, in the challenger oh, the between ch Perth and Brisbane, it was looking like Brisbane were going to storm their way into the final. It didn't happen that way in the end. But first things first, it took three bat flips to decide the toss. <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to talk about What this, a Mickey Mouse bloody element of the whole thing. I love the bat toss. Oh, really? I really do. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
it's great. It's what we do as kids, you know. It's, yeah, it's bringing, I know, but like, uh, it's bringing an element of that. It's it's something that you were wanting to try and attract an audience of. of yeah, young folk. I know. I it's know. something for them. Look, it's unfortunate that it took three goes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Had nothing happened with that, we wouldn't even be talking about. Yeah. This. Okay. It just so happens that you had to take an extra five seconds out of your life while they flipped it twice more. But surely the way the bat's weighted, it's more likely to come up one side than the other. Well, I think the problem's not the bat toss. It's just the bat they're using. Yeah. When you're using like David Warner's frigging block of wood, of course it's going to come up on the <laughs> side from time to time. They need to go with one of these little cheapy Kmart yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's no chance it's going to end up like that. So I think that's the problem. Now, after saying last week, don't get your knickers in a knot about Manus being mic'd up. It doesn't happen every time. They mic'd him up again. They did. Now, I didn't hear much. As I said, I felt like listening to some music. Did you get a chance to hear any? Or uh, I didn't actually get to hear too much of that. Unfortunately, I had to have the uh, the volume quite low because the little one was sleeping. Ah, uh, fair enough. But from what I understand, it was a whole lot of complaining because he was getting tonked all over the place. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, he had the 27 off his first over. So, I mean... Yeah, well, let's talk about it. Livingston looked magnificent, didn't he? Continually just flicking it behind square with precision. Yeah, 43 of his 77 runs actually came through the mid-wicket region, which is pretty well right. I think 83% of his runs through the entire tournament were leg side. Mm. So it was amazing to hear. He actually spent the morning of the match re-watching old footage of his best BBL knocks to try and get some of his confidence back. Okay, interesting. Now, the reason for that and the reason it was so important was because we lost Jason Roy before the match to an injury. Yes, Big loss with one of your imports goes down before a final. But his 77 off 39 set a magnificent platform for the Scorchers who had great performances from Bancroft and Mitch Marsh as well. Yeah, a couple of things of of note, I guess, for this. And we'll we'll look at the bowling lineup, first of all. Now, I spoke last week about how Xavier Bartlett has been a a really, really big target of this X-Factor substitution. Now, last week, he bowled a maiden and they subbed him out and Mornay Morkel bowled like absolute shit. He did. This week, he bowls another really good first over. I think it went for four runs. And they did the opposite. They kept him in here. They subbed out Steckity instead. And then after a pretty decent second over, they took 14 and 12 off his third and fourth. And he actually ended up with none for 36. And Bartlett and Morkel went up for about 80 between them. Exactly. And Morkel went for 45 off his four overs. So none for 81 off the two of them. And it's backfired completely. So Mitch Swepson was the only one that bowled well for them. And that's after he got tonked. He came back quite well, actually, after being tonked in that first over. He did. So I guess, yeah, if we look at a couple of those moments, I mean, Manus Labashan, we spoke about how well he bowled previously. Previously, yeah. Really good economy rate. Cramping guys. Lots of wickets. Yep. As I said before, 27 off his first over, none for 36 off two. That's a huge win for the Scorchers. And obviously, in terms of once we've put the runs on the board, you know, one for 189 off the 18.1 overs, and obviously then the, the rains come in. Yes, yeah. So the Duckworth-Lewis score was actually higher than what we made. But mm. there was, yeah. For, for obvious it does reasons. Happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, But uh, what I, I think was the other really, really big moment in this was you get off to a pretty decent start through Dan Lee and Lynn. Oh, yeah. Chris Lynn hit a couple of huge sixes and you're starting to go, oh, game on here. Yep. But then Jason Berendorf got rid of both of them in consecutive deliveries. And he's bowled superbly, hasn't he? He has. All tournament. And then the run rate basically pushed up past 12 and over from there. And they backed it up really well with three great overs from Andrew Ty, Fawad Ahmed and Aaron Hardy. Yeah, Fawad Ahmed, two for 26, very tidy. Yeah, and that's the thing. After those three overs, the Heat are less than halfway into their chase and they need more than 15 and over. That's that's it. It's over. Yeah, regular wickets is the recipe for success in T20 cricket. Exactly. So 
obviously the Scorchers have won that thing fairly comfortably. I did have one thing I did want to talk about. Oh, yes. And unfortunately, it's Joey Burns. Oh, yes. So three times in his last eight bats in the BBL, Joe Burns has reached double figures. And he came in at six. He did come in at six. But they all seem very similar to the second innings 50 he had against India, where they're pretty pointless runs in situations uh, okay. where... Garbage points, so to speak. Yeah, he didn't contribute to a total or a win at all. And it was the same here. You know, he had a a reasonable knock against the the Scorchers in a game that was well and truly gone. So, Mm. unfortunately, this is another one of those times where stats don't always tell the story. It's true. It's true. So, the Heat's luck ran out, and it was, in fact, the top two teams that made the final, and indeed the two most successful teams in Big Bash history. And you could make a strong argument that now the Sixers have leapt ahead of Perth and have become the most successful team, owing to the fact that both teams have won three, but they also won a Champions League. Mm. But we'll talk about this one. So, it was a bit of an inauspicious start. The Philippe runout was a bit crazy. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. And it Seemed to maybe open the door for Perth to have a good start, but no, James Vince went off. Yeah, 95 off 60 to back up is 98 off 53 in the friggin' whatever ridiculous name they called it, the, <laughs> the Dominator or something, I don't know. But I think one of the big things, obviously Vince was the most important factor in them putting up such an amazing total, 6 for 188, it's very, very tough. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. tough. In a final two. Runs on the board. But I think just as importantly with the little cameos that they got from everyone. So if you look at 18 off 11 from Moises and Reeks, 17 off 11 from Jordan Silk, 20 off 14 for Dan Christian. And Who had a good match. He did. And 10 off 6 from Carlos Brathwaite. Those four all had strike rates over 140. Now, if you look at the supporting cast for the Scorchers, only Aaron Hardy with 26 off 13 was above 122. Mm. So that's... Quite. And he came in with a run rate required of like 15 or 16, probably. Exactly. Yeah, he, he had no choice. You could argue those were almost Joe Burns runs, yeah, effectively. Yeah, yeah. So, And the other thing is James Vince was dropped on 82 and I think 92 from memory or something. So he was dropped a couple of times too. Okay, he only made 94 only. He made 95. So the second drop wasn't as costly. But that could still be part of 20 or 20, oh, yeah. 25 runs as part of a partnership, yep. which is around about what we ended up losing by. So. Yep, yep. Now, the other thing, obviously, on the flip side for the Scorchers, two off four for Colin Munro, 11 off 10 for Mitch Marsh. And both of those, I actually had a bit of a look today. Unfortunately, they were on the bad part of an alternating run of good score, shit score. Ah, right. Yeah, okay. Which ultimately ended up sinking what would be a, a fairly tricky run chase anyway. Yes. Now, Stewie, for me, the surprise was that forward Ahmed bowled one for 16 off three overs. He didn't bowl a fourth over. Well, no, and the, the thing is, I actually was looking at that while the game was on. And, power surge. And the power surge, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, I said that out loud. I said, the, as soon as they take this power surge, he's done. Yeah. Because you can't have him coming in in a power surge and you can't have him bowling the 17th or 18th over. And Andrew Ty bowled well, 2 for 29 off 4. So he did do well in the power surge. But speaking of that, that's another really, really key factor in this game. So the Sixers were none for 25 off their power surge. The Scorchers were 2 for 12. Yeah. And unfortunately, a wicket off, I believe it was the first or the second ball of the, the power surge for the Scorchers really took a lot of the wind out of the sails. So, mm. so that was really key. You know, you mentioned before about uh, Vince being dropped on 82. It seemed like the Scorchers ended up with a ton of these kind of half chances. Yeah, there were there were some half chances rather than egregious drops. But yeah. yeah, but every time the ball went in the air, it seemed like it was going to hand for the Sixers. And it was dropping just short or as we saw Mitch Marsh going back with the flight. He never should have been the one taking that catch. Anyway, it was tough. He was probably looking into the lights. It's not an easy catch, but you know, you been, need them in finals. But it should have been the man coming in from the boundary. Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. But 
Now, the other thing, I want to go back to a point that that we spoke about in a previous episode around Stephen O'Keefe. Oh, yeah. So we spoke about, obviously, the pressure that he puts on in terms of... Racing through overs. His speed, exactly. So you mentioned about blinking and four balls in the over are gone. And overs 12 and 14 are those two overs that I, I really want to talk about. So five runs and four runs. In a point of the game where you've got Liam Livingston bowling the corresponding overs for us, going for eight and 13. Well, I remember looking at our sports chat amongst our mates and going, oh, I should look at the screen. And sure enough, I'd missed three balls because he got through them so quick. Exactly. Yeah. And there were two dot balls off the last two of the previous over as well. So it's that scoreboard pressure that that happens. And so what happens after that? The run rate's gone from 10.4 to 12.5 required and over. It happens like that. And Mitch Marsh and Josh Inglis get out in the same over trying to pick up the pace and the game's over. Mm. So... That's kind of really the final in a nutshell. Those those key moments where we did okay, but the Sixers did amazingly. And that's often all it takes. And hats off to them, full credit. Definitely the standout team of the competition. Worthy winners. And when you consider the fact they did all of that without David Warner, Steve Smith, Pat Cummins, Mitchell, Mitchell Stark, Stark, and Nathan Lyon. Yeah, yep. It's even more impressive. Yeah, so, that's half a team right there. Exactly. You have to tip your hat to the Sydney Sixers. Deserved champions. And I'm more than happy to lose to a team like that. Speaking of, just to finish this segment, we speculated that maybe the T20 squad would change given the cancellation in South Africa, but sure enough, no, they're not changing it. So that same team will go ahead to New Zealand. Fair enough. I think that's fair. It is fair. Guys like Berendorf deserve reward for a great tournament. Yep. And now, this week in sport history. February 8th, 1986, 5'7 Spud Webb of the Atlanta Hawks wins the NBA slam dunk competition, being the shortest player ever to win. This is more impressive when you consider that he took down one of the greatest dunkers in the history of the game, or in my opinion, the greatest, Dominic Wilkins in the final, as well as other renowned high flyers like Terence Stansbury, Jerome Kersey, and Gerald Wilkins. Webb absolutely put on a show, throwing down a double clutch, a 360, and a high lob finish with a reverse dunk. He couldn't even palm the ball, and it was said that half of his teammates didn't even know he could dunk. Truly remarkable. It really is. Did you know about the conspiracy theory that they lowered the ring for him, Stewie? I didn't. But having seen the footage, I don't... It might have been a couple of inches, but it looks... Oh, the dunks are magnificent. Yeah, but that's a, that's a really interesting NBA conspiracy theory. I think yeah. I think Bill Simmons talks about it in the Book of Basketball, actually. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. There's so many things he talks about. Oh, it's a great, remember great book. February 9th, 1895. The sport of volleyball was invented by William G. Morgan in Massachusetts just four years after the invention of basketball. It was meant to be a mixture of basketball, baseball, handball, and tennis. Mm. Originally called Mintonet, do not ask me why, the game was very different back then. So the net was only six foot six high, now sits at seven foot 11. Mm. Huge difference. Shorter people back then. Certainly shorter back then, but geez, that's a lot. It is a big difference. Games had nine innings, which consisted of each team serving the same number of times as the players on their team until their service was broken. Kind of similar to baseball, I guess. Servers stood within a foot of the back line, but were given two attempts to get it over, like in tennis. It's almost a platypus of sports at this stage. It really is. It really is. It sounds a little bit poisonous like a platypus (laughs) as well. Any ball hitting the net on the return was called a net ball and awarded the point to the other team, even if it went over. Okay. A ball hitting the line was aptly named a line ball, but considered out, like in basketball. And the idea of getting the ball high enough to spike it only actually occurred in the Philippines in 1916. Now, as somebody who plays volleyball as my sport of choice, I'm incredibly glad that it's improved dramatically since then. (laughs) I bet you love doing a spike over a six foot six net, though. I wouldn't mind that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
February 11th, 1950, 43-year-old Englishman Jack Holden wins the marathon at the Empire Games in Auckland, now Commonwealth Games, in 2 hours, 32 minutes and 57 seconds, running the last nine miles barefoot after his shoes fell apart during the race. Shoe issues were quite common back then, and in the 1948 Olympics in London, he ended up with massive blisters and broken shoes. This time around, it was due to wet weather, and he gutted it out in bare feet, entering the final stadium with his feet bloodied, but four minutes clear of second place. February 2nd, 1961, Pakistani cricketer Mushtaq Mohammed scores his first test century for Pakistan at just 17 years and 78 days when he makes 101 against India in Delhi. The five-test series was oddly drawn nil-nil. Nuts. Five draws. Only two of the five matches even reached a fourth innings. And strangely, there was a three-week break between the fourth and the fifth tests. They wanted a result, but they still didn't get one. They still didn't. The record for youngest century was actually broken by Bangladeshi Muhammad Ashrafal, which now sits at 17 years and 61 days. But Bangladesh was destroyed in that game by Sri Lanka in Colombo, losing by an innings and 137 runs. Well, those were the days when they conceded double tons to the likes of Jason Gillespie too. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, true. February 14th, 1984, Britain's Jane Torval and Christopher Dean absolutely dominate the ice skating at the Sarajevo Winter Olympics, performing to Morris Ravel's Bolero in the free dance routine. They would record the best score of all time with 12 perfect sixes and six 5.9s, including perfect scores of six from every judge for artistic impression. Oh, I do love a bit of ice dancing. <laughs> this week in sport history. Now, we'll race through the basketball this week, Stewie, with some exciting things ahead in that space, which we'll look forward to next week. But a few little notes and quotes here and there. Yeah, I suppose the big thing that's really happened outside of the NBL is that the Australian men's Tokyo 2021 Olympic squad has been announced. For the FIFA Olympics. Yes, again, with the little asterisk around it saying, should this go ahead? Yes, yep. So we've got a 24-man squad that's been announced. They'll cut it down to 12 later on. So I just wanted to quickly list off some of the names. So we've got Dan Adele from the Hawks, Aaron Baines from the Toronto Raptors, Ryan Brokoff, who's a free agent, potentially with the Phoenix in the next few weeks, fingers crossed, Xavier Cooks from the Sydney Kings, Mitch Creek from the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, Matty Delavadova from the Cleveland Cavs. But there's rumours he may be calling it quits, Chewy. True. I'd imagine he'll probably have one last hurrah yeah. in Tokyo and then I'd potentially hang the boots Yeah, up. that could be it for him. The boots and the mouth guard. Yeah, at age 30, I think he is. Just... Yeah, he's only 30. Yeah. Then we've got Dante Exum from Houston. We've got Josh Giddy playing with Adelaide. Chris Goulding from Melbourne United. Josh Green from the Dallas Mavericks. Isaac Humphreys from the 36ers. Joe Ingles from the Utah Jazz. Nick Kay over in Real Betis. Jock Landale, the undefeated <laughs> with, with Melbourne United. Yep. Mitch McCarron, also from Melbourne United. Will McDowell-White playing with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers in the G League. Uh, Will Magne with the New Orleans Pelicans. Thon Maker, who's a free agent, unfortunately, because he was in the overstacked Cleveland centres. Ah, uh, yes. Paddy Mills with the San Antonio Spurs. Brock Moten in Galatasaray. Mitch Norton with the Wildcats. Duop Reith uh, with, I don't know how you pronounce this Serbian team, <laughs> Ben Simmons with the 76ers. And, also, and that's a great coup because we didn't know if that would happen. That is a huge coup. Yeah, yeah. And Matisse Thibel also of the 76ers. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think most of the, if not all of the team will be the internationals. So the NBA and the Europeans with maybe Bryce Cotton if he can get his citizenship. Well, that was certainly one thing that I noticed was that he wasn't even on in the squad. Yeah, so yeah. maybe they know something that we don't know. And maybe he can't, if he's not in the squad, maybe he can't play. The other couple of obvious ones that are in the NBL or one that is one that's rumoured to be would be Landale and Brokov. I think Landale's destined for the NBA sooner rather than later too. Yep. I like as I fact, always say. It. Yeah, I like the fact that he's a, a good sort of stretch 4-5 
He's got really nice post moves. He had an absolutely gorgeous sort of spin and dunk against the Wildcats a couple of When Mooney overplayed him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's good. He reads, reads the yeah, post. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's really a well. big reps. Big reps for him. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Brokov obviously gives you a lot of shooting, which you need from that sort of swing man. Well, Simmons loves playing with shooters. He does. He does. And he'll have a, a pretty decent amount of shooters in this team. A couple of surprises for me, I guess, would be Mitch McCarron and Mitch Norton. I can't help but think they're probably in the squad as kind of training fodder, guys that play hard-nosed defense that'll keep everyone else honest. So I yep. suspect that that's the only reason they're there. They're not going to really make the team. Now, I'll give you my reasoning behind that. So Mitch McCarron is currently averaging about 6.2 points a game on 41% from the field. Mitch Norton, eight points a game on 33%. Shooting. Norton has not started well when the Wildcats needed him to step up after the retirement of Damian Martin. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the question obviously is, well, who would you put in place? My first choice, Nathan Sobey. Yeah, okay. Well, he is also a hard-nosed defender. Hard-nosed defender. Yeah. Second in the league in scoring at 25 points he, a game as well. Yeah, you're right. That's a, that's a really good point. I'm really surprised he didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And a little bit more athletic than both of those guys yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. Oh, more than a little bit. Plays above the rim. Definitely. McCarron's pretty athletic, but yeah. No, but Sobey, they, they, they don't hold level. a candle to Sobey. Next yeah. level. Yeah. The other one I actually thought, Dayan Vasiljevic. Oh, yeah, okay. The Sydney Kings. So yeah, okay. He's been averaging about 17, 16, 17 points a game, shooting a really nice clip from downtown. He's another guy I would like to maybe see sort of elevated to that if we're talking about potential future players. But Okay. But look, it's not a it's not a bad squad at all. It's no. certainly one that could contend for a medal. Hopefully we finally get that medal. Exactly. And then, as you said before, so great to see so many NBA stars making that commitment, including obviously Ben Simmons, who would lead the team. Yep. And we were never 100% certain of. So this is a, a massive, massive squad and a huge opportunity for us. And they're going to have a training camp style with the US and Spain. So steel sharp and steel. They'll be playing some pretty good teams in the lead up. So that's really good news too. Definitely. Great preparation. Now we love the stats, Stewie. A couple of quick NBA stats on the last week. Yeah, we can't go past these three. So we've had three massive scoring nights from three amazingly different players. <laughs> so the first one has to go to Freddie Van Vliet. This one happened not long after we recorded, probably the day after no, last so week. So often happens, yeah. Exactly yeah. right. So he had 54 points in a road win over Orlando. And if I'm not mistaken, highest score for a non-drafted player? Yeah, I actually read that as well. And they, they actually had Moses Malone listed as second, even though he was actually drafted in the ABA, not the NBA. Ah, so maybe, okay. maybe on a technicality. But, yeah, okay. But uh, yeah, also broke the franchise record for the Raptors, breaking DeMar DeRozan's record of 52. So a very, very amazing effort from Freddie. 11 of 14 from three. Only two of his mates hit any kind of rim. Like it, they were pure swishes, most of them. And it's great to see players still perform after they get paid because sometimes players drop off the cliff when they get paid. So, so true. Then we had yesterday, Nikola Jokic dropped a 50 pace to go with eight rebounds and 12 assists in a very narrow loss to the Sacramento Kings. Joining Wilt Chamberlain and Kareem as the only other centers to have 50 10 points and assists. Yes, exactly right. Love Jokic. Oh, brilliant. He actually nearly became the eighth guy in NBA history with a 50-point triple-double as well. Wow, so, yeah. So well, he's had a few this season. He has. He started really well, but the team hasn't started so well. No, they're starting to get into their work a little bit now, which is good. And then to top them both, Steph Curry just decided to remind everyone that he's still pretty amazing. Hold my drink. Yeah, 57 points in a two-point loss to the Mavericks. Uh, yeah, Luka Doncic had 42, but uh, Steph certainly won the night. On the scores, 11 Indeed. of 19 from deep. So not quite as, as good as Freddie, but still pretty good. It's hitting those sort of ridiculous shots he was hitting in those MVP seasons. Um, he actually had to pull up from one dribble inside half court Jeez. in the middle of the game as yeah, well. So yeah. um, Draymond Green actually had one of the more interesting stat lines in that game as well. 
six rebounds, 15 assists, six steals, four blocks, seven turnovers, wow. two points. He really is a stat sheet stuffer. He really is. And those two teams are very seesawing, aren't they? They'll be feast or famine. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Now, we could talk about this a little bit more, but I just kind of wanted to round out the basketball by sort of asking your thoughts on the NBA announcing an all-star game when they previously had said they weren't going to do one. Well, LeBron and the NBA Players Association are not happy with this as far as I'm aware. I've never been, well, when I say never, I haven't watched many all-star games over the last probably two decades. So to me, I don't really give a shit if there's no all-star game. I think in super spread of COVID times, maybe they shouldn't have it. So yeah, I think this is a weird about face from the NBA. Couple of points I will make on this. You've got a lot of guys who have All Star games in their contract as little little incentives. Ah, uh, true. That is true. So you could see a lot of those second tier guys getting games. So we might see Jeremy Grant being the All Star MVP. Well, hey, he should probably be in the team regardless. He, he would be, but yeah, he, he, he might be the MVP of the game. Yeah, well, if guys like LeBron don't play, yeah, yeah. And but the other thing that I, I heard that was quite interesting was hearing them talk about the fact that the revenue that's earned through these sorts of games is actually really important to the bottom percent of the league. So obviously Ah, LeBron's got his money. He doesn't care at all about any of that sort of stuff. But someone like Quinn Cook, for example, it would be much more important to to him. So, you know, there there are certainly things that can be said about that. And I'd like to think that an all-star game with second tier stars would still be quite interesting to watch. Well, there'd be guys like Julius Randle who'd be looking forward to their first appearance. Very true. yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, I think a lot of guys will probably take their names out of the hat and basically say, I'm not interested, don't pick me, or, oh, I'm injured. Or they might have already organized a a five-day trip down to the Bahamas to relax and kind of... Go with Lemon Pepper Lou to strip club in Vegas or something. Like, I get it with LeBron. 71-day turnaround. He's in the the twilight of his career. He needs those days off to kind of settle himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't look great by the NBA, unfortunately. It's just, unfortunately, it's a money thing. Yeah, yep. All right, Stuart, you know what that music means. What are you amped for? Well, I have to say, I'm pretty amped to sink my teeth into the Australian Open tennis. It's been a while since we've had a Grand Slam, so it's nice to see it started well. I think the imminent match I'm amped for is Alex Diminor versus Tennis Sangren, so all I can say is, come on, Dimmer, fuck that loudmouth prick. <laughs> In the NBA, hard to go past the Bucks and Nuggets tomorrow, and Hawks and Mavs on Thursday, the old Luca versus Trey debate. How about yourself, mate? Well, Stu, I'm very excited for an upcoming interview. Our first interview with the sport blokes, if all goes to plan, that'll happen on Saturday and be in our next episode. So that'll be quite exciting indeed. Watch this space. Absolutely. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the sport blokes.